All right, so my name is Johnny Levy, and I'm one of the teaching elders here at Aletheia, and it is one of the great joys and privileges of my life to get to bring God's Word to the people uh, and spend time with Him in, in understanding the Scriptures uh, to be able to have a message to bring. So, uh, so we're going through Genesis, and as you all know, this has been a really interesting season for the church. Um, you know, we... we we have determined as elders that we were going to be faithful to the text. Um, we employ kind of a uh, passage by passage, line by line teaching method for the most part. And, and when you apply that method to Genesis, it requires you to deal with some things that churches don't generally deal with or talk about. Amen? Amen. And, and we say praise God for that, right? Because we're learning a lot and, uh, and we hope by the power of the Spirit that everybody will be learning with us. So uh, as we're in Genesis, we just got through creation, and today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, and we're going to talk about the fall, the day that everything changed, right? One of the most impactful days in the history of creation. And so a, a couple of questions that I'm going to try to hit as I go through this, uh, this passage. Uh, the first is... Who is God? Who are we? Who is Satan? I'm going to talk a little bit about that. You know, just some light, light topics. Um, yeah, easy. Next, what is Satan's strategy? This is a great opportunity to see Satan in action, who he is, what he's about. What is the fundamental issue or the fundamental choice that confronts humanity? You know, we're going to get into that. What is life and what is death in the biblical sense? Not just the biological or natural sense, but in the biblical sense. What is life and what is death? And then what is the difference between the tree of knowledge and the tree of life? Because those are set up as a contrast in the scriptures. And so we're going to talk about that. Um, so I'll be preaching for about six hours today. Uh, hope you're ready for that. You know? I, I, I think I've told you this before. Like I, I, I came up in a in a very uh, uh, very charismatic um, uh, Pentecostal church, and they used to do church until like nine o'clock until, you you know what I'm saying? Like we'd be there at two in the afternoon still doing church, and I'd be like, Lord, when does it end? <laughs> like, you know. But uh, but anyway, all right. So but we don't we don't do that we don't do that here. <laughs> All right, so, uh, so a couple, I, I usually like to start with a few scriptures for context that give you a taste of where I'm headed. Uh, so I'm going to start you, I've, I've got four for context that we're going to start with before we get into the actual passage, and a couple more themes to set things up. So the first is 1 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 3. Um, now don't let it throw you off, it's about a different topic, but there's a principle in here that is going to apply later. So first, and, and you don't need to turn to these because I'm just going to hit these real fast. You can if you want, but I'm going to hit these real fast. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. See, that'll preach, right? Knowledge, it, we're learning about knowledge, the nature of knowledge and what knowledge does. 
And we're going to be contrasting, right? I'm setting up the contrast. We're going to be contrasting knowledge and life because they are not the same thing. Knowledge and life are two different things. John 6, 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Okay, so there are words that can be life, right? But the, that life, it is the spirit that gives life. The spirit, that, that, that parallelism between the spirit and life is important. 2 Corinthians 3, 6. He made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Okay? So again, this dichotomy between, you know, there's, there's the letter, there's words, there's knowledge, but they don't, they don't by themselves give what? Life. The Spirit gives life, right? So, so my prayer is that as I'm preaching to you, that the words that I speak would not just be knowledge, but power, right? Life, Spirit, so that we can be changed and not just know more information. Amen? Amen. All right. And now 2 Corinthians 11:13 and this is a big one. We're going to we're actually going to end back at this verse because what he's saying here is incredibly important. 2 Corinthians 11:13 Paul speaking to the Corinthians, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I'm going to read that one more time. I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. All right? So that's, that's giving us insight into Satan and what he wants to do, but it's also giving us some insight into the antidote. But I won't spoil the whole sermon for you. So, uh, so, my the- I, I don't mind really starting with, my, starting with where I, my conclusion or where I'm going to end um, because I don't want you to stand on what I say, right? I want to say things up here, but I want those things to be so tied into Scripture that when you leave here, you can stand on those things and not stand on what I say. Does that make sense? Like, that's the role of the preacher, right? Like, I want to give you the truth so you can stand on the truth, not, not, what, not my opinions, because my opinions, if the, if you're if you're fight, if you're trying to stand up in this life where it is so hard to stand up and there's so much contradicting us and coming against us, my opinions are gonna not gonna get you very far, right? But the word, the word is settled forever, right? Like that's a foundation that you can stand on and fight from. So uh, so my thesis, right? This is where we're headed. Adam and Eve's choice was a choice of knowledge over life, okay? Knowledge over life, autonomy over trust. So we're going to lay those things together, autonomy versus trust. Satan and self over God. We and all mankind are faced with this same choice every single day, dozens of times a day, if not hundreds of times, if not thousands of times. Will we eat of the tree of life or the tree of death? Okay, that's my thesis. That's where we're going. That's how I would uh, encapsulate it. Now, I'm going to give you this little grid for comparison because it may come in handy later as we, as we start to think about Adam and Eve and what must that have been like to, 
to be innocent and newly created and then to be faced with this monumental decision and then to be hit with this crazy consequence, right? Um, I want you to, th- I'm going to give you a little framework. So virtue without knowledge is innocence. You could, you could also say naivete, right? Virtue without knowledge. All right, think about that for a second. Virtue, right, without knowledge. Knowledge without virtue is wickedness, all right? Think about that for a second. You, you can have knowledge and be evil, <laughs> right? Amen. If you don't have virtue to govern your knowledge. Virtue with knowledge is godliness, right? Because God has both infinite knowledge and infinite virtue, right? So, so three different ways to be. And I, and, and I think that can give you a glimpse into the three different actors in the drama that's about to play out in front of us. All right, y'all ready? Can you tell I'm pumped? I didn't think I was going to, sorry, Joel, but I did not think I was going to get this pumped out of Gen, uh, over Genesis. Joel, was, Joel drove, drove us into Genesis, and I did not think, yeah. What did you say? What did he say? Oh, oh yeah, thank you, yeah. Uh, the, the preemptive, you're welcome. That's, that's one of Joel's special moves. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> all right, so, so precursor, right? Um, up to this moment, you know, where are we at? So God has created the world, both the heavenly and the earthly world, right? He has created the world. He has also created delegated authority in heaven, which we broke down, right? And this was, this was one of the things that, man, I've just never received a full teaching on before, but, you know, these, God has a heavenly council, right? There are heavenly beings that are called the sons of God, and God allows them to participate in his running of the universe because that's how God likes to get down. He likes community, right? He likes community. He likes to empower. He likes to delegate. Like, and so, so there's this, this heavenly council, and there's this delegated authority in heaven, the structure that we don't fully understand, but it's there. And it's somewhat parallel, if not totally parallel, to earth because God creates the man, Adam, to take care of the earth. And so there's a delegated earthly authority and a delegated heavenly authority, and that's the hierarchy of the universe that God created. And that's the, that's the framework of creation. Um, now, now, first, we start with, you know, I said, who is God? That was the first question. Who is God? Elohim of Elohim, right? The high, the the most high, the uncreated creator, the sovereign authority over all creation, heavenly and earthly, right? God is unique. He is set apart. He is alone, but he is also a part of a category of beings that are referred to as Elohim, which is a spiritual being, okay? Is that making sense? If If you weren't here for some of the teaching on that and that is puzzling to you, then come talk to me afterwards because this is it's an essential part of understanding the way that the world, that the world is set up um, and, uh, and, and how God created the earth and who God is. God exercises his authority in commanding man and woman to eat all of the trees in the garden, but not the tree of knowledge of good and evil, okay? So God is sovereign. He has complete and total authority. He exercises that authority, and he is right in doing so, amen? He is right. If he says, eat everything, don't eat that, he is right, <laughs> okay? Um, and, and initially, right, that was obvious, but things begin to get muddy as we go on. So, so now we head into the fall narrative. 
this is where things get weird. There are a lot of people that stumble at Christianity because of what's right here in this text, okay? That stumble over it because of the, the strangeness and, and the fact that it's got talking snakes in it and stuff that's like, that sounds like mythology, right? Like people stumble over it. But, but the scripture is just so deep in what it's, what it's, what it's giving us and producing. And then the framework of reality that it introduces makes more sense than any other framework I've ever seen right, just on its face in terms of explaining, like, like, like explaining sin, why things are the way that they are, why people are the way that they are, right? Um, it has unique and detailed explanations for these things, and a lot of these things are much more than they appear, and so if you take them on their face that this is like a myth about a snake that talks, then you're missing the deeper understanding or the deeper context of what's being said here. So I'm going to try to unpack that a little bit. I'm not a biblical scholar, but I play one on TV. All right, let's keep going. All right. So, now the serpent was more crafty. So we're in, in, in chapter 3, Genesis 3, verse 1. In your Bibles, that'll be the first page. Or no, the third page. Third page. Okay. All right. So now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? All right, we're going to hang out here for a minute because there is a lot happening here. Question number one, who is the serpent and how does this work, right? Who is this talking snake? What is this talking snake? I want to create a framework for you of understanding that in the scriptural narrative, there are physical realities and there are spiritual realities, and they almost always overlap, okay? So when you're seeing something play out, you're seeing something that is both physically playing out and spiritually playing out. It's playing out in two, on, in two realms at the same time, all right? And I can give you a lot of different examples of that, and I will in a moment. Um, but, but for example, let's take, let's take Satan, and let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about how Satan manifests in the world. A lot of the time when he manifests, He's manifesting through another being, true or false, right? And yet he still gets dealt with as if he's Satan. So do y'all remember Peter um, was, you know, Peter was rebuking Jesus saying, you're not going to die. You're not going to go to the cross. Stop talking like this. And what did Jesus say to Peter? He did. Now, did he say, get behind me, Satan, hiding in Peter, hiding in whatever, right? Like, get behind me, Satan. He addressed the reality of what was really going on, which was he was being under spiritual attack. Does that make sense? So, so we know, and, and that's not the only place. Like Satan does that multiple times. Ananias and Sapphira, right? They, they, they tried to embezzle from the church or they tried to lie actually really is what their sin was. But it said that Satan was the one that was in their heart doing that, right? Anybody else that you can think of? Judas, Satan entered Judas, Okay. And so we, we have this situation. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I understand everything about how the, the Satan's interaction is with the snake, but I am saying it's very clear that we're dealing with Satan here, right? Whatever else is being used as the medium for Satan to go get his, get his work done, um, we are dealing with Satan here. Um, and then moving on, we also know that Satan always disguises, he likes to disguise himself. And that's 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So we're dealing with, um, a being that manifests himself through other beings, right? And so I'm going to leave here. So, so whether or not 
Satan and the serpent um, and, and Satan using another creature to come and manifest or whether this creature was actually, actually Satan himself, which there is evidence of that in Revelation where it talks about, it describes Satan as the great dragon, right? It describes him as the great serpent. Um, I'm going to leave that for now and just, just proceed with at least the clear understanding that we're dealing with sa- the serpent is Satan. It's not somebody else, right? Like the serpent is Satan. Um, now, who is Satan when we boil it down? I'm going to let Scripture tell you. So John 8, not just Scripture. I'm going to let Jesus tell you who he is through his own lips. It says, he was a murderer from the beginning, refusing to uphold the truth because there is no truth in him. How much truth is in Satan? No truth. He has no truth. Can you imagine that? No truth in him at all. He is completely lies upon lies, right? When he lies, he speaks his native language because he is a liar and the father of lies. What a significant statement. How did lies enter the world, enter the universe? Through Satan, right? He was the first to believe, to, to, to believe that he could create an alternate reality, an alternative to the reality that God put forth. Um, and we'll touch on this a little bit more, but, but Joel actually touched on this when he began to talk about the I am, right? Like, like, like if, if once you get outside of the I am, it's all just nothing. It's shadows and nothingness, right? Because there is only one true essence, and that is God. And so the idea that there could be an alternative to God is in itself absurd. It's absurd, and yet that's the realm where Satan lives, right? A realm, of com- a realm of complete and total deception. So, so what he says to the woman, and now we get to see how Satan rolls. He, he comes up, he, you know, he goes up to the woman, does not, does not go to the man, he goes to the woman, right? He comes to the woman. So it, it, fellas here that, that have a wife, you just picture somebody trying to come and attack your wife, right? Um, and he says, he starts with a question, right? And he so often does this. He starts with a question or something that's intended to destabilize you from the truth that you know, right? So what does he say? He says, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So did God really say there was anything off limits? Did God really say you have, there's something off limits to you here? There's something you're not supposed to do? Well, that's weird. I don't think he's very smart. You know what I mean? Like what's implied is, oh, uh, whoa, I don't know. You know what I mean? You know how some people, sometimes people come and they, and they ask you a question, but it's really an insult? You know what I mean? Like I get this all the time. My wife's not here, but she'll get to see it on the video. Like you really, you don't wear those pants, honey? <laughs> it's like, uh, no, I'm not. That would be foolish, I think, based on your tone. Right? So he starts with a question so he can destabilize you, right? And now let's look back at what God actually did say. What did God actually say? He said, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Um, I'm going to do a quick aside here. So, so we're going to get into the deception. And we're going to talk a little bit more about how that deception manifests and, and, and who Satan is, and what his job is, and all that kind of stuff. But for now, I want to I wanna just flesh out the dichotomy here. And, and by dichotomy, I mean two opposing, 
um, perspectives, right? Like two sides of the coin. And, and it's knowledge versus life, right? Because God, isn't it interesting, y'all? God never said they couldn't eat from the tree of life. He said you can eat of, eat of all the trees in the garden, not the tree of life. And we know they didn't eat the tree of life, right? We know that because part of their punishment is they're cast out of heaven before they eat the tree of life, right? So they didn't eat it, but it was available for them to eat. He only forbade one thing, and it was the tree of knowledge, right? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. These metaphors, I mean, these, these concepts, I won't say metaphor because they're real, but these concepts are so deep, y'all. Like, this is a book that's thousands and thousands and thousands of years old, and the concepts are as true today as they were thousands of years ago. Can I get an amen on that? Like, that's the book that we're dealing with, y'all. It gets me pumped. So, so knowledge. God, in his sovereignty, places a limitation in the garden to man's knowledge. He says, I want, I, I, there are things I don't want you to know yet, is what God says. Does God get to say that? Yes, he gets to say that. Is God daddy? He is daddy. Does daddy know best when he's God? Yes. <laughs> daddy knows best most of the time when he's not God, right? But when he's God, he always knows best. You see what I'm saying? Like daddy knows best. And, and he's, he's intentionally placed a limitation. He said, I want you to know this much but I don't want you to know this much. Man, don't we do that with our kids all the time? I, I see the fatherhood of God in this, right? There are things I want my kids to know, and there's things I don't want them to know yet. Do you know why? Because they're not ready, right? My kids are not mature. And how they deal with what I give them to know is how I know whether they're mature enough to know the next thing, amen? amen. Because I'm daddy, and I love my children, yeah. and I don't want to ruin them. I don't want them to be ruined. No. Amen. Amen. Come on. Yes. <laughs> All right. So we see God's, his fatherliness of like, okay, don't play in the street, right? I don't need to teach you rocket science right now. Just, just don't play in the street, <laughs> right? So, um, so, so getting a little bit further, we if we look at the way things have played out in this world, we worship what? Knowledge, right? In this culture, knowledge is probably worshiped above all else, I would say. Um, now, where has our knowledge gotten us? No more war? <laughs> no more poverty? No more crime? We're the same because knowledge was never intended to save us. Does that make sense? Knowledge was never intended to be our God. Um, knowledge is great in its place, but there's something else that's needed in order for knowledge to have its prop uh, proper relationship. Y'all remember when I said at the beginning, um, knowledge without virtue is wickedness, right? But virtue with knowledge is godliness, right? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna use the words virtue and life interchangeably in some ways, right? Virtue, essential goodness, right? Life, these things are always equated in the scriptures, right? So, um, so there was life and there was knowledge and man chose knowledge. I don't, I forget which hand that was, but okay. Oh. Right, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Woo, have a good old time. 
All right. So, so anyway, I just want you to consider, like, think about, because that's essential. To, that's the crux of what happened in the universe, right? This was a universal rippling effect that happened, and it had to do with the exalting of knowledge over life, right? And what's needed is what? Life. Life is, life is essential. Um, all right. So continuing on with the, with the narrative, continuing on with the nature of Satan in the fall. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. All right. So this is a different instruction than what God, it was an expanded instruction than what God gave her. There's a lot of meanings that you could attach to it, right? And I, I don't want to get into a lot of conjecture. I will tell you what I, what I think based on the options that are there for me. I think that this is how it was presented to her from Adam, right? Because God told Adam the command, then created Eve, right? So I believe that this, the reason I think that is that one alternative is that she just made it up and was like, and had kind of made up a rule for herself. But I don't think that Eve was capable of deceit at this point. And that would have been a deceitful thing to say, to say God said something he didn't say. Does that make sense? Because she's saying God said it. But if that came to her from her delegated, uh, you know, from, from, from her head, from Adam, and he spoke this to her in God's stead and said, hey, Eve, don't eat this, but really, we don't, we don't even need to be touching it, right? We don't even need to be going near it. That would be what, uh, what in, uh, I've heard in Judaism referred to as fencing, fencing the commandment. Um, and fencing the commandment is to make sure I don't do the thing I'm not supposed to do, I'm gonna like have a fence around it that keeps me back from even getting close to doing the thing I'm not supposed to do. But we've also seen that that can go really, really, really wrong, right? Laws upon laws upon laws upon laws of man that actually um, create layers and layers and layers of distance between the person interacting with what God actually said. So, uh, so again, I'm not gonna put too much weight on, on that. That's just my theory. Um, but, uh, but, but anyway, that's, that's what she says. She kind of gives this answer. And she's engaging with the serpent um, and answering his questions. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. That's where he stood, right? For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Couple things to note here: the, sat uh, the Satan, the snake, the serpent. He knows he knows things that Eve doesn't know. Okay, so you might say he's a little bit more sophisticated, right? You might say he's got a little bit more knowledge, right? He can come across as intelligent and 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 knowing some things that, like, oh man, you know, like when 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 you're a kid and your your big brother, you know goes to college, I don't know, whatever. And, and you're just like, wow, he just knows so much, right? And, and she's still in a state where she has virtue, but she doesn't, God didn't want her to have a bunch of this knowledge, right? And so, uh, and so he, but he blatantly contradicts, right? So at this point, he blatantly contradicts what God said. God said you'll die. I say you won't die, right? So, so there's that. But then there's the warrant, right? Now, now he's gonna go in and he's gonna now explain to her God's motivations and why God's motivations are not pure, right? Like God couldn't be out for your best interests because this is what God's doing. For God knows that when you eat of it, 
your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And God doesn't want you to be like him, right? God's holding out. Do you hear it? God's holding out on you, right? God is, what, what we see from Satan and what we see, I mean, you just trace this all the way down to, to today's culture and the way that authority is most often portrayed in, in our culture specifically, right? Revolutionary war culture, right? Like bucked off Britain and, you know, like freedom, give me freedom or give me death. Like we're going to have freedom. And man, is freedom a virtue? Some to a point, right? Freedom's a virtue to a point. Is absolute freedom a virtue? It's not, right? It's not. It, it, where, where, where I get to the place where it's like the rule, all rules are oppressive, right? All rules are bad. I should be free. I should be able to choose whatever I want to choose at whatever time I want to choose it. Like everything else is tyranny. See, that's not the way God created the universe, and so, but, but that's what Satan is. You see what I'm saying? The father of lies, the first lie. God's holding out on you. You will not die. God's holding out on you. There's something that he doesn't want you to have because maybe he doesn't want to have competition. As if God could be competed with. You see what I'm saying? And so, uh, so you will be like God knowing good and evil. Now, the, now, here's the other problem. There's some truth in there, isn't there? Right? It'd be, uh, you know, it'd be, it's a, it's a very jarring thing when later God uses this exact same language to say, oh man, they ate of the tree and their eyes are open and they know good and evil. They're like God now. They're like a God, they're like a God now. They know good and evil. God uses the exact same language. So was Satan lying about that? He wasn't lying. He wasn't lying. Um, he was telling the truth. And so he mixed a little truth in with a little bit of a lie um, with the goal of getting you to stray away from the design, right? Stray away from the commandment. Stray away from the pattern. Stray away from, let's even, let's even get underneath that a little bit, your trust in God being who he says he is, right? He's undermining her faith. Like, that's what we see happening, right? He's undermining her faith in God. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to define what he's doing. I'm going to give it a little phrase. What he's doing is re, he's re, redefining good and evil, and that's what he does. He redefines good and evil in order to exalt himself and exalt you, right? So it's, what he's promising her is that she's going to get a benefit, right? She's going to get this awesome thing. All she, all she has to do is disregard God's definition of good and evil, God's definition of right and wrong, and, and, and now we're, now we're in, a, in a party, baby. Now it's all good because this is what you really want. So I'm going to compare this. Uh, well, actually, first I'm going to say there's two rebellions happening at the same time here, okay? There's an earthly rebellion, which is, try, which is being fostered by a heavenly being. Does that make sense? So there is a heavenly rebellion happening and an earthly rebellion happening at the same time. And this, that, that makes this an incredibly momentous occasion. Now, I'm going to just do a little comparison because I want to I hang out on this for, for just a moment. So Jesus had a very similar interaction with the serpent, right? Matthew 4, 1 through 3, 
Um, in, uh, and I'd say go ahead and turn there. Matthew 4, 1 through 3. Get your eyes on the text. I'll give you a second. Matthew 4, 1 through 3. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. How hungry do you think he was? Hangry. <laughs> oh, man. No, no, no. Now you're talking. And the tempter came and said to him, and listen, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So do you see? Now, now he's, he always starts with questioning the thing that's true, right? And implying that there's an alternative to it, right? Because if he can ask the son of God, or if you can say to the Son of God, if you're the Son of God, then what he's implying is, maybe you're not. Maybe you're not. And I'm going to get you to unconsciously play along with my lie. Because for Jesus to do that would have been admitting that there was any doubt. Do you see what I'm saying? If I've got to prove it to you, if I put you in the realm to be my judge, and I've got to prove it to you, then I have already acknowledged that there could be truth in what you're saying. And you notice Jesus doesn't play, right? Jesus doesn't play ball with Satan. What we see is, is the, the fall in reverse happen with Jesus because the comparisons are just so profound as it continues on. Um, but, but, but just to get you a sense, we live in a culture where it's really important to understand the way that, that Satan works, right? Because we are in a postmodern quote unquote, post-Christian culture where the, the, the core values that have been held through generations upon generations upon generations of, of followers of Christ are being attacked at their core, right? Concepts such as gender, right, are being attacked at the core. Concepts such as sexuality are being attacked at the core. Concepts such as marriage are being attacked at the core, Right? There's, there's all these things. And that's, that's what's going on culturally. Um, and it's important for us to understand because it's so easy to, to, to be in conversations and to just feel so intimidated because, wow, oh, he's got a PhD and he says these things, right? He has all this knowledge and he says this thing. She's, she's, she's been, she took these courses and she says these things. And it all sounds so smart and so wise and I don't really know. So you must be right. You see what I'm saying? That's the same thing that happened with, with Eve. Like, I don't really know. You seem smart. You must be right. And the only thing that's going to hold you through that, because a lot of us don't have complete knowledge. A lot of us aren't going to take 16 courses on apologetics, right? Am I, is it true or false? And so what's going to sustain us in the face of somebody who has more knowledge than we have? Say it again. Come on, somebody else say it. Faith, right? Faith, trust in God, that God is who he says he is, right? Confidence in God. All right, I'm a, that's, that's a freebie. I'm going to keep going. All right. So, actually, I'm going I'm I'm to step, step back for one moment. So the tree of knowledge of good and evil represents the endless alternative interpretations to the one thing that is true. Does that make sense? And it also represents autonomy versus trust, right? It represents 
you know, like, like, the tree, like, like to know being aware of good and evil is not evil in itself, right? What was evil was how they got there. Do you see what I'm saying? The sin, like the, everything that God created in the garden was good. The tree of knowledge of good and evil was good. It had a good purpose. What was the problem, though? Disobedience. The problem was choosing not to trust God and to choose the enemy and to enter into this forbidden knowledge without God's permission. All right, so endless alternatives. See, Satan is the God of alternatives. You understand what I'm saying? He's the God of options, right? He's the God of interpretations, right? These endless things that draw us away from the truth and that seem so attractive and so tasty. And I'm here to say, don't fall for it. You don't have to have perfect and complete knowledge to trust God, amen? amen. Yes, go and get knowledge. Yes, go and, and show, study to show yourself approved, right? Like, yes, get in the text and understand why you believe what you believe. But at the end of the day, you're gonna sometimes come into a circumstance where you're outside of your depth. That doesn't mean you gotta throw in the towel, amen? amen. Knowledge isn't, the person that has the knowledge, it ain't saving them, Right? Some of the smartest people in the world are some of the most unhappy and, and, and petty small people in the world that say horrible things and have no grace. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So now we have her meditating on it right? Like, like the trap has worked. She's, she's meditating on it. She's, she's looking at it. What does she see? Man, that looks delicious, right? Tempting to my flesh, tempting to my sense of taste, right? Um, it's a delight to the eyes. It's beautiful. It's attractive. It looks really good. Um, it'll make me wise, right? It'll make me wise. It'll make me like God. It'll exalt me, you know? That common, that's a deadly combination, isn't it? Who here has been tempted before? <laughs> right? Deadly combination. Um, where's Adam? Where's Adam? Right there with her, right? Um, you know, Adam, Adam was convicted of a different sin than Eve was. Eve was convicted of a sin of deceit, but Adam's sin wasn't, de or, or, or being deceived. Adam wasn't deceived, right? Adam knew what he was doing. Um, he allowed this to happen, right? And then when we see as marriage, as, as we get to see marriage redeemed and marriage fulfilled and the pattern for marriage that we see in uh, um, Ephesians 5, right? We see that, that a man's supposed to protect his wife, right? Now, you know, and, and that, the, that, 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 that this method of entering the household is trying to enter through the back door, right? Satan goes and he, and he goes and connects straight with Eve, when it's time for accountability, who does God call? Adam, you got to answer for this, the head of the house. What happened, right? He has an account to give. Are they both responsible? Absolutely, they're both responsible. Um, but we do see that, that there's a pattern that God is creating and that God has created. So he was with her. He was aware of what was going on. And, uh, and I would say that, that we see that sin of passivity, man. Anybody, any brother in here who's a, who's a husband, well, I mean, I know for me personally, you know, one of the things I have to fight is passivity, right? Passivity. You know, sometimes my wife is getting wrecked and I feel like, well, right? 
I, I, it takes me a while to remember, like, man, I need to, be, I need to be warring for my wife, right? Like, I need to be praying for her. Like, I need to be inviting her in. Like, it's easy for us to get passive and to feel like, man, you know, nothing I can do about that, you know, or I'm upset. Why are you acting like that, right? And then to abandon our post, but, but God has called, uh, and, and there could be a whole sermon about this, but I won't, I mean, I don't have time, but, um, but we're, you know, God's going to call him into account for this, right? Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. I'm going to have to start going a little fast if I'm going to get to the crux. So essentially here we've got shame, right? We've got an awareness of, you know, hey, you're going to get this knowledge of good and evil, but it's not just knowledge, it's experience. Because to get this knowledge, they had to enter into evil. They had to do something evil. And so it's not just what they knew in their head. Now it's, they, it's in their body, right? It's, it's in their emotions. It's in their entire being. And they want to hide. They want to hide themselves. They see their nakedness, what, which God had never, you know, in the, in the context prior to this, what was there to be ashamed about? What was there wrong with being naked? But all of a sudden, now there's a problem, right? Now there's a problem. Now there's an internal problem. Now they're interpreting, perceiving differently. made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And I want you to understand, this is a tragedy, right? This is one of the greatest tragedies in the Bible, was when the God that they had been walking with just the day before, in perfect fellowship, now they're running and hiding from the, the lover of their souls, you see, because they let someone else get between their relationship with God. And this is a very tragic moment, and this is where the damage was done. And, um, and, and so I wanna, I wanna highlight here, when I talked about defining death versus life, this is death. This is a form of death because it's separation from God. Life was connection with God. Death is separation from God. And death is a lot of things. Death is physical, death is emotional, death is spiritual. There's a lot of ways that death can manifest. But one of those manifestations and the tragic manifestation here is a separatedness from the God who loves them and who they loved, right? Um, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? All right, so now we've got the omniscient God who knows everything asking a bunch of questions, right? But there's something beautiful here, right? Because what was the opportunity for Adam? Repent, right? Tell the truth, <laughs> repent. That was the opportunity for Adam because God is good and kind and so far better to us than we deserve, And then the man says, and this is also a tragedy, right? The woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. You see what I'm saying? Emphasis, <laughs> you, her, right? He doesn't take responsibility, right? He doesn't take it, you, you know, yes, he, he blew it big time. I wonder what would have happened. 
I wonder what would have happened if man, if he could have taken responsibility for his actions and just been straight up with God. But see, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? The destabilization that had happened, it's already working its effect on the heart. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate, right? She follows the exact same pattern. It's the serpent's fault. Now, was the serpent accountable? Yes, he was accountable. He gets, he gets judged, right? He gets his. Oh, and he's going to get his. You understand? Yet a little while and I will crush Satan under your feet, he says to the church, right? He got his and he's going to get his. But does that mean that Adam and Eve did not have culpability? They absolutely did have culpability for what they did. Um, so now we come to the conclusion. So that's the, that's the end of my section. Incredible heartbreaking section of scripture where we get to see how everything went wrong and how it just echoes, right? It just echoes into the modern day. And, and in conclusion, I'll say this. Satan is the author of the great lie, right? It's one lie with nearly infinite adjustments or permutations. That's a real word. People have been calling me on words up here and saying I use words that aren't real words. Permutations is a real word. Look it up. I don't just be making up words. <laughs> just so you know. All right. Okay. Anyway. All right. For real. So the, the, the great lie. I can have life and existence without the I am. Right? I can be without the I am. Or I can be the I am. You see what I'm saying? That's the lie. That, that, that there, could, there could be an alternative to truth that there could be such thing as my truth. You see what I'm saying? That's the lie, that there is no truth. That I can forsake God's design and thrive, okay? God has a design, and I know that is an unpopular view to take in the modern day, right? That God has a design, a way that he architected things to work, and that man ought to function that way and submit to the way that God says things should work. And next, that I can circumvent God to get what I want. It's just so core. It's so foundational to how we sin. I can, I can get what I want by going around God. I don't have to have God give it to me to, to, to get it. I can get it without him. Like, man, constantly we see that right? Like constantly. Not just we see that, we do that, y'all. So let me make sure I don't make it like it's just all this all social cultural thing. Like, no, this is you and me, right? When we sin, it's because we think we can get a good positive result, a righteous result, a just result, a satisfactory result, a pleasing result apart from God. And we do this. And we need to repent. Now, the results of the fall. People are no different now than they were in the old days, right? I, I, I kind of hit on that. Like, we're not, our knowledge hasn't made us so different, has it? You know? I mean, you know, we can all get along when we all have enough to go around, kind of, right? But, man, is that flesh still in, the same flesh that God talked, told Cain, like, man, sin crouches at the door like an animal, it wants to have you, but you have to master it. Man, that same sin everywhere around us, 
right, in us. So what do we need? We need life. So the answer, right, coming to the answer. Coming to the gospel, right? This is, the, this, is, this is where the pastor gets to preach the gospel, which is the great privilege of my life to preach the gospel, that it's not just the fall, right? It's not just the fall, but God made a way for the tree of life. So Jesus, tree of life, very analogous, right? Very parallel, if not the same thing, right? Me and my brother were talking about this a little bit. Jesus and the tree of life so connected as to be almost inseparable, right? And here's what Jesus says, John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, right? Jesus came that you might have life, not just knowledge, right? How did, the, how did the thief come and steal, kill, and destroy originally? Through offering the promise of knowledge. What did Jesus come to do? Give you life, right? God's indwelling presence that leads to virtue in your being that allows you to then be able to properly articulate and understand knowledge and apply knowledge so that you can bring the kingdom of heaven on earth everywhere that you set your feet. You understand me? That's what we're called to do, to bring the kingdom of heaven. Uh, worship team, come on up. 2 Corinthians 11.3, and this is where I'm going to end. Man. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Now, you see what I'm getting at here, that we live in a world of knowledge, in a world that tells us that knowledge is the answer, in a world that tells us if you want to get your way, you've got to know more, right? And if you want to win, you've got to know more. And knowledge is power. And I'm here to tell you, man, knowledge is good. Go ahead and get knowledge, but knowledge by itself will never save you. You need life. You need God's essence inside of you or you will never live. You understand? You'll never live unless Christ dwells in you. And then so therefore, what is is the instruction of the apostle to the church? It is to maintain a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And that word means simple and it means single, right? That, sim- that, that simplicity of devotion to Christ. You understand what I'm saying? See, see, Eve didn't need a lot of arguments, did she? Adam didn't need a lot of arguments. He didn't need to know a lot. He didn't need to know a lot. You understand? He didn't need a lot of classes. God had given him enough. What he needed to know was, no, God said something different than what you're saying. That's what he needed to know. And when we see Jesus take the reins, what does he do? He doesn't give the devil a bunch of arguments. He says, this is what the word of God says. And you know what? They might think you're stupid if you're leaning on what the word of God says. And yet God calls us to the faith of a little child. Amen? Let's not think that to be effective in this world, we've got to go get mad PhDs and whatever, right? What is on trial is your trust in your father and that his instructions to you are good. And the world's never gonna like that because the prince of this world is the prince of alternative interpretations. And that just is too confining for him. You see what I'm saying? It's too monolithic. That's another, that's a word. Let me pray for us. 
Lord God, thank you for these people who I love. Thank you for the fellowship that we get to have in Christ. Thank you that we get to sit here and exalt your word and exalt your being and exalt your character and just be people who are in love with you and who trust you like little children. My daddy said, I know you're saying all this stuff, it seems right, but my daddy said this, let us be a people, let me be a person, Father. Let us be a people who are bold and confident and trusting in what is written, in what you have said, in the design that you have created and set up in the world. Let us, by the power of Jesus, be simple, have a simplicity and a purity of devotion to Christ. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. John 15, so, um, you know, we talk about Jesus being the tree of life, right? John 15, we, we see Jesus comparing himself to a vine. It says he's the true vine and his father is the vine dresser, right? It says every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. And then on down the page, he says, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Like we are being called to abide in the tree of life, right? And also to be, he talks about, um, uh, by this you'll know, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Like as you're attached to that tree, you're also gonna get to bear fruit for his name. Like that's what we're doing. Like we, we have a simple mission, a simple purpose when we wake up in the morning, right? is to stay connected to the vine, stay connected to Jesus Christ, and then go out there and through that vital relationship with Jesus, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna bear fruit in the world, right? And this is, this is your calling. It's not complicated. It's, it's multifaceted, but it's not complicated. It's a simple, simple calling, right? Spend time with your God, spend time with your Christ, stay connected with him. And then we're gonna bear fruit as we abide in, in sincere and simple devotion to Christ. So, uh, so there's, a, there's a call here. If anybody here, if you don't know Jesus, if you are not abiding in the vine, if I'm talking about this language of life and vitality and you don't have that, um, I want to invite you that today is the day of salvation, okay? Today is the day that we would rejoice. I would personally rejoice to answer your questions and pray with you over this topic, um, because, uh, because whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, we're not talking about some kind of scientific puzzle here. We're saying whosoever shall, come to, shall call upon the Lord shall come to the tree of life, shall come and partake of Christ as, as Lord and Savior will be saved. Um, I want to call you to giving. So we have, uh, we have giving boxes to the left and to the right. I don't see them, but I'm sure they're there. And if they're not, huh? To the left and the right and the back by where Manny's at. Um, and so, uh, so uh, for anybody who's going to give as an act of obedience, those are there. We have communion to the left and to the right for those who are followers of Jesus Christ to come and to partake, right? To partake of the tree, to partake of the blood and the flesh of Jesus, right? As we enter in with him. Uh, and then finally, call to prayer. And uh, so we've, we've, got a, we've got a thriving ministry, women's ministry here. So if you'd like to pray with a woman, there will be a woman up front uh, who will pray with you. Um, but I just want you to know, like if you're... If you have an area in your life where you're praying for breakthrough, where you'd like to see breakthrough in your life, sometimes we just sit with it and we don't get help because we think we just got to kind of muscle up. 
Um, I would encourage you, I'm going to be standing over here to the side. If you want to pray over breakthrough in your life in a certain area, let's pray together. Um, and I'll be there, and then any other elders that want to join me. Actually, you know what, I'm going to be in that office. Any elders that want to join me, come in that office, and anybody who wants prayer, come, and we'll pray for you. Um, and believe for progress and for you to bear more and more fruit unto life. Let's continue to worship.